Hello, welcome to the Mikey Pod podcast, episode 268 for November 26th, 2018. Today's guests are filmmaker Chelsea Moore and Erica Rose. I should say filmmakers. Chelsea Moore and Erica Rose, and I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for over 13 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons on the sidebar. And if you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at michaelheron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at Michael Heron, or you can email me at mikeypod at gmail.com. Hello, how are you today? Um, I'm in the midst of moving, and it, the fun started last night, and I'm it's a little in disarray. So I'm going to make this intro quick because I want to still make sure I get this podcast out today. It's actually going to be late today, but it's on the right day. So here we go. Um, I'm just going to check in with a couple of things. I, you know what? I'm not even going to check in with anything today. <laughs> I hope that's okay. I did a really great gig on Friday night um, at Gathering the Coven with Lauren Mall. I did some improvisation on piano and electronics, which was actually really, really fun for me. It looks like I am going to check in on this stuff. Um, I, I um, it, It's a great event. It's one of my favorite things. Lauren, you've heard on the show, she directed one of my videos, um, Home Again. She animated it in a really lovely way. And uh, yeah, so it was great. It was really good practice for me. I really want to be doing more playing out live just music um, and not just the animal show which is my multimedia solo show I wrote in residence at Tamerlane Farm Animal Sanctuary yeah um, I started a new Facebook group for my patrons if you're a patron and you didn't get an invite will you uh check with me. Um, it, it, Facebook is odd, and some of you aren't Facebook friends of mine, which we could also remedy as well. Um, but I, I think that Facebook group is going to be a good place for people to interact. So if you want to be a part of that and you are a patron, do let me know and make sure that you're in there. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm moving. I might be skipping next week's podcast, which is sort of unfortunate, but it's okay. There's as always, <laughs> there's extenuating circumstances surrounding my move. I'm moving into a great new place with my roommate, but it's not ready in time. So I'm going to be splitting time between a basement and an apartment for at least a couple of weeks. So I'm not sure how that's going to affect the podcast. I'm going to try not to let it because I have like four interviews stocked up right now, ready to go. So I may just do some like low key podcasts with the interviews and just um, record the intro with my, you know what? I'm going to commit right now to just doing that because uh, my, I may not be able to set up my whole studio for a couple of weeks, but I do have a really nice handheld recorder so I can just do the intros there. Okay. We're going to keep podcasting. Done. Oh, uh, I think so. <laughs> Most likely. As I say that, I realize the interviews are on my desktop computer, which am I going to be able to set that up? I don't know. Um, so if you don't see a podcast for a couple of weeks, that's why. I'm going to do my best to keep it going, though. Um, oh, I wanted to mention Ray Hill. Ray Hill is an activist uh, in Houston. He's a, a LGBTQ activist um, and a prison activist. Um, civil rights activist in general, who passed away just a couple of days ago. And I wanted to mention him for two reasons. One is that he uh, was one of the first activist people I knew. Um, and it was when I lived in Houston and I was getting involved in Queer Nation, probably 1988, 1989. Um, and honestly, I never knew him really well, but he was one of those fixtures that I was like, just sort of like a an activist that was making his life about activism. And I found that really inspiring. He passed away a couple days ago. So I wanted to mention him and also mention that I interviewed him before I left Houston. He was one of those people that 
um, I felt was important to, you know, in, in my timeline to to document and to archive. So this interview with him, I'll link it in the show notes at MikeyPod.com. And um, to people that really did know Ray Hill well and his family and anyone that might hear this, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for our loss because, um, you know, like anyone else, I'm sure he wasn't perfect, um, but he did passionately make his life about activism, and I find that a very powerful thing. So there's that. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Today's guests are Chelsea Moore and Erica Rose, who are filmmakers uh, with Sour Peach Films. They're um, femme, queer women who make films. Um, that you'll hear all about it. I'm really happy that I got to talk to them. And uh, let's see, this podcast is powered by Patreon. There are 129 patrons um, in my Patreon community who are contributing a couple bucks a month, some up to like 25 bucks a month to keep this thing and all my other work going. So uh, if you like this always free podcast or the many other things I create, tell a friend, leave a review, like, subscribe, all of those things. And especially, I'd love your support at patreon.com slash Michael Heron, where you can get access to all kinds of cool stuff in exchange for as little as $2 a month. I'd love to connect with you there, and I'd love your help in covering the expenses of this always free podcast and the other content I create everywhere. On the topic of Patreon, um, typically I do a bonus podcast each week. I didn't get bonus content with these two filmmakers. I may put something else up, but that's another thing. I'm sorry that it's like this this week and for the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, so bonus content may not happen this week. Uh, I hope that's okay. And I think that's it. All right. So I want to play this song from my friend Pete. I heard this when I first met Pete. We were I was doing a show called Greenwich Village Follies uh, down in Greenwich Village that ran for a really long time. I think over a year. It was just on Sunday nights. And we had a special guest artist each night. And one of the nights it was Pete Sturman. And he sang this song, which... I loved, and I've been hoping for him to record it forever, and he finally did, and it's on his new album. Uh, this song <laughs> is called Rufus Wainwright Gave Me Crabs, and it's going to uh, precede the interview with Chelsea and Erica. Stay tuned. Can you keep this under your hat? Just between you and me, and that's that. Can you promise you won't blab? Rufus Wainwright gave me crabs. Rufus Wainwright gave me crabs. This was back in 98. We made out at Snake and Jake's. No one even knew who he was. We drank some drinks and did some drugs. By some strange chain of events, we ended up back at my pad. But all that Rufus left to me with was a broken heart and crabs. Rufus Wainwright gave me crabs. We spent the night, it was hot as shit. At least I'm pretty sure I don't remember most of it. I must have been some kind of doofus to fall for a guy, a guy like Rufus. But it's not like I'm still mad that Rufus Wainwright gave me crabs. Rufus Wainwright gave me crabs. Now he plays in places like Carnegie Hall, and I play in places that are pretty small. Now house in the Hamptons, no famous friends, just some hard luck stories, ukulele and pen. 
don't waste headspace thinking about that I'm happy with the things I have And I've got to this little song About how Rufus Wainwright gave me crabs Rufus Wainwright gave me crabs I tell this tale to entertain What other motive could I have? It's not inspiring or glamorizing It's a little bit pathetic and sad The closest I have come to fame Was an infestation I once had Now I don't think he would mind me singing this song He'd probably be glad A little publicity's always good Even when it's bad and it's no lie Rufus Wainwright gave me crabs 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 Joining me now on the podcast are Sour Peach Films founders Erica Rose and Chelsea Moore. Thanks so much for joining me today, y'all. Hi, thanks for having us. I've been trying to avoid saying you guys lately and I'm awkwardly saying y'all now because <laughs> I'm trying to do something like that's not, uh, not gendered, um, but it just comes uh, out super awkward. I find you folks is a good alternative. Oh, you folk? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Southern, so I say y'all. Yeah, I'm from I'm from Texas, and I resisted. I live in New York now, and I resisted y'all for a long time when I was a kid because I was like, no, I'm not going to talk like that. <laughs> and now I'm trying yeah. to ease back into it. Anyway, let's talk about what you all do. And um, let, we, uh, there are a couple of things I want to talk about. One is your um, film company, and the other is this film, Girl Talk. So I... Do you have a preference for where we start? I guess maybe you start with the film, um, the film company, so we yeah. can have the timeline going of, of what happened. What happened? <laughs> How did you make a, a film company and why? So um, I guess we'll start with... It so, started with the film. It started yeah. with Girl Talk. Yeah, oh, okay. it off. It was like coincide. It was very much like a, a symbiotic relationship. So I'm Erica, and I wrote and directed Girl Talk. I'd written the first couple drafts and had brought it to Chelsea um, to partner up as a uh, directing producing team Um, and uh, kind of through that. And also um, we had made a we we were like, let's make a short documentary before we do this giant narrative short film. So we made this short documentary uh, called Please. And then, you know, through that and like through making Girl Talk, we were like, well, for uh, financial and logistical reasons, we need an LLC, but we were like, why don't we partner officially? Um, Cause we have the same goals as filmmakers. So uh, we created Sour Peach Films and our goal as a company is to, you know, we're, we come from a queer femme perspective and to tell queer femme stories, but we're also empowering LGBT narratives that are kind of outside conventional uh, treatment of LGBT narratives. So we're doing things that aren't, you know, the coming out story or a taboo relationship. We're furthering the narrative and actually uh, doing something radical by showing everyday queer lives. So that's who we are. Yeah. So the film Girl Talk, which I I watched last week, uh, just side note to people who are listening, I thought our interview was last week, totally my fault. So I I made all my notes and watched the film last week. But it's still it's still fresh in my mind. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting about the film, um, and I guess as a gay guy, I don't always like, uh, like the I don't really know a lot about women's sexual connections and conversations that happen. Um, But I did some research about about 
how you guys put things together and the fact that some people aren't believing that this is believable dialogue and conversation. Um, I guess two things. One, well, let me ask about that first. Like, can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. It's really interesting because yeah, we've gotten some feedback. They're like, this is, we can't imagine people actually talk like this, but then I'm like, well, I talk about anal sex with strap-ons or, you know, lube or, my nipples all the time with my friends because, and we're all talking about similar things. Uh, the fact is, is that like queer people and especially queer femmes, we have sex like anyone else in the sense that it could be uh, really passionate and erotic and hot and steamy, or it could be really fucking awkward or terrible or tragic or really boring. And that's like any person having sex. And it just hasn't been depicted from a queer femme perspective. It's been mostly the narratives have been co-opted by uh, cis men and you're losing authenticity when you have enabled those people to tell those stories. So what ends up- And, ha- and only those people. Yeah, and only those people. So what ends up happening is that people watch a film like Girl Talk and they're like, ugh, ugh, people don't talk like this. And it's like, um, hello, uh, this was written by a queer femme person. <laughs> It was literally taken from actual conversations that we've had with really our friends. Really just like early drafts were like <laughs> looking at our our text chains with yeah. groups of people. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we said this. Like, yeah. write that down. Write that down. Yeah. It was so, it's so, it's like, it's like laughable that people question that. Uh, but yeah, it's because the, the dominant kind of uh, perspective we've been seeing of uh, queer femmes has been curated by uh, people who are outside of the community. Yeah. Do you feel like, uh, I mean, uh, one of my questions is, and I was trying to write this down to figure out exactly how I wanted to ask it. It's about storytelling and why, you know, uh, and I, it's weird to ask this question because I kind of have my own understanding, my own answer of it, of why storytelling and art are important as a, as a way of uh, having social change. Um, it's, it feels like such a huge question to throw out there, but I'm going to throw it out. Like what, why, why is it important? I mean, uh, you sort of expressed why it's important for you, you all to tell the stories, these stories, but why is it important to tell stories in general to, to make change? What does it do that, that other ways of creating social change don't? I just think it's really important to see people reflect yourself reflected um, on screen or an experience about yourself or something that you've never experienced. I think that film is a metaphor for life. I don't think, like, you know, narrative film is a metaphor for a uh, real life scenario. I don't think it is something that is supposed to be true to life. I think it's a, an expression, but it's supposed to make a greater point of, um, you know, a specific story you're trying to tell. So, for example, if you watch Girl Talk and, you know, even what you said earlier, you're a man and you hadn't realized that, you know, queer women can talk to each other like that and do talk to each other like that. You're learning about a community and you're going to be more open to talking to those people in real life and having a sense of community with them and having a kinship with them that you wouldn't necessarily have if you weren't exposed to people like that on a screen. You know, it also just from my experience with the film is this sort of realizing that I was completely clueless and then like, what, why is it like that? You know, like asking myself, like, why, why am I clueless to like fellow queers, you know, doing, you know, doing what they do? 
Absolutely. We get that uh, comment uh, almost at every screening um, from like uh, the gay male community and who come up to us and are like either touched or like just feel something from the movie and <laughs> come up to us and be like, I had no idea or I have an idea, but they um, expressed that they just never see it. And they felt like they were, someone was saying, you know, like I miss seeing this. Like this isn't a part of something that I get to like witness or um, I know that it, I can sense that it's missing from the visual storytelling um, that is out there and they appreciate it. Um, and that's like, uh, like a, a bonus add on to, um, the effects of the film. Cause it's like, we, like, we're not making girl talk to like educate the world on queer femmes. We made it for queer femmes, like mm -hmm. for the femme community, um, because it is, that's us. And that's, um, the people, the other people who made it, like the majority of the cast and crew are, uh, femme identifying or non-binary, um, and both cast and crew and um yeah it was like for us by us and for that greater community to like we know like eric and i know how important it is for us to see um ourselves reflected and how meaningful that is and even going around with girl talk and at festivals um this past like six months it's that like social activism um, I don't consider myself an activist. I, we were just talking about this <laughs> earlier because that's a broader conversation uh, that I can't articulate. But I do feel very um, um, political in the way in which we made Girl Talk, the way in which we have promoted it and its place in a greater um, community of like, film work that is out there. Even the Q&As that we go to the conversations that come up are very like political and uh, in the way of which it's like, how do people categorize girl talk? What are people's assumptions about like the type of sex that's being depicted and what categories it gets put into and the assumptions of it? Um, the questioning of why we say that it's important that people from their own communities are able to tell th their own stories. Um, having these conversations that like a movie screening is very like it's a very political environment that you go into even when it's just like just in quotes but just a film screening yeah it's like a awesome gender and sexuality college class that you weren't able to take <laughs> and we're like credit uh so uh you should definitely come to one of our uh, audience at home listening you should definitely come to one of our screenings to hear us talk about the movie because it it's almost as good as the actual movie. What what were the audiences like in terms of like the diversity of the audience? Well, we premiered at Outfest in LA and that was definitely like a shinier audience. And what I mean by that is that it was like millennial uh, LA types of queers. So like very chic and like bougie and very receptive to the movie. Uh, and then, you know, we immediately brought it to Denver right after that. And Denver, I love the Denver audience. I was super intimidated by the Denver audience because it was a bunch of like older butch dykes. And I was so excited to like screen with them. But also I was like, oh my God, they're gonna hate the movie. And actually what happened is that, uh, so Chelsea stayed in LA for our second Outfest screening and I was alone in Denver. And I was sitting in this row and this older woman sat next to me and she was super nice. Uh, 
and I, and you know, I introduced myself as a filmmaker. And about 10 minutes into the screening, she uh, started snoring because she had fallen asleep. Uh, so I was like, okay, so that's exactly how she feels about the movie or whatever. And then, so I get up there and I'm like, I'm not going to have any questions for the Q and A and I'm not going to have any questions. It's going to just be crickets and no one liked the movie. You know, someone literally fell asleep. Uh, but then the woman who fell asleep, I guess she's the kind of person who just like maybe needs to listen to a movie because she had the most questions out of anyone. She asked at least three questions in that Q and A and then interviewed me for a podcast right after. So, and she was really receptive to the movie. She was like, you know, uh, the queer movements have changed. And of course, in the past like 40 years, uh, you know, I think that it has been equally as political and equally as fraught with violence. But I think now we're talking, you know, so much of the gay rights movement back in like the late sixties, early seventies was centered around a cis white male narrative, even though the movement was actually started by butch lesbians and trans women, uh, which, you know, has of color of color. Yeah. And now I think that as especially in uh, more urban communities of the United States where queer people are afforded a certain type of visibility uh, and a certain kind of openness are we, we still have, you know, issues that we're dealing with that are inextricably linked to our queerness. But, you know, the problems that we're facing are not just about, you know, having a livelihood. Uh, so I think that, and that's not to say internationally, like, you know, it's still being open and gay is, you know, absolutely uh, violent, uh, could face violence. Um, and it still does in the United States. I'm not saying it doesn't. But I think that, at least in my experience, you know, I'm lucky enough that I haven't faced violence as a queer person. So I think that we want to further a narrative that shows uh, queer people outside of violence and outside of uh, being ostracized and isolated. Uh, I know I totally veered off your original question, but no, that's okay. <laughs> just like you know, on a rant here. Um, but then we've screened a. a uh, and then we had a really interesting screening in Wales at Iris Prize. Um, for I don't know if you know, but Iris Prize is uh, the biggest film prize, short film prize in the world. And uh, it partners with 25 LGBT film festivals around the world and each nominate a film to be part of it. So we were nominated by Aglyph in Austin. And we, Chelsea and I went and it was really interesting because we were dealing with mostly an international uh, group of people. And most of the films there were still from a cis white male perspective. And a lot of the films that you, where you did see uh, people of color or women or trans people, it was uh, not from their perspective. And there was a lot of violence against those individuals. So we were the only film, I pretty much think we were the only film that showed queer femme sex on camera. Like yeah. actual sex. There were like other films that included like relationships or like holding hands or kissing yeah. or like talk of that. But there wasn't any like actual sex yeah. in the films, um, which was really surprising um, for us. I think it was a little bit confusing for myself just to be like, wait, I just sat through the top films <laughs> or at least, you know, like, you know, according to this festival, like, some of the top films, in, uh, queer films and short films in the world. And there was no, 
like women just don't have sex with each other, mm-hmm. like according to what yes. we just sat through. Yeah. Um, but it's been, but then, you know, we also were in a program called, you know, it was themed intimacy, which was like one of the better blocks that we've been like groups, like environments to, or context, I think to put girl talk is this, like the audience was already thinking about the film framed with intimacy rather than like thriller or kinky or threesome, which is other blocks that we get put into poly, like poly blocks. And it's like, we're not a poly film. But then all the questions then become about like, well, what is your advice on having a a successful polyamorous relationship? And we're like, I can't answer that. (laughs) You're like, I am not the person to answer that. Um, especially in the context of the movie that I have here. Um, but wow. yeah, so it, depending on what other films were programmed with, depending on the theme of the block, it changes who shows up for that screening, what the questions are, how it's received. Um, we've had like amazing screenings also in the South, which is really special to take um, like queer stories. I'm from Tennessee, so it's really nice. That we screened in North Carolina and um, in Atlanta. So it's really nice to bring those film or bring my film now back to the South um, to see, to like not bring it home because I'm not, we haven't screened in Tennessee and I don't think that's going to happen. We'll see. <laughs> There's like one festival still that's open, but I don't think we will. But to come closer, to come to um, those areas and see and support these like very vibrant, heavily overlooked queer areas um, of the South. Um, and that's like a whole different audience there. And they're very receptive and warm and very kind and very active and excited about um, storytelling. It's been a quite a run. How long have you been um, going to festivals? Is it six months or so? Is that what you said? About six months, yeah. Yeah, we started, I guess our... We're, uh, it's been less than six months, actually. Uh, we, July. Yeah, July was Outfest. So almost. I, I had another thought about the film. Like there, there's a lot of um, really, like carefully expressed consent in the film. I'm guessing that was intentional. I'd love to hear more about it, though. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. That's something that we worked really hard on. Uh, so it's interesting. When I wrote the first couple of drafts it was definitely there but it wasn't as emphasized Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until Chelsea really sat down with me and went through the script with me where we agreed that you know this is not like it's incredibly important in when Mia had sex with Kate and Soleil that everyone agrees to it because if everyone doesn't consent or agree to that scene it becomes about something else and and we also want to show a world where everyone does consent um and what was interesting is that and this was in a review or something or we said this at a QA, I forget what is differentiating this is that everyone consents but everyone goes into the sexual uh dynamic for different reasons so you can consent actively, which everyone does, but everyone has different reasons for being part of that. Um, I, I won't even say threesome activity, that group sex activity, because it wasn't really a threesome, uh, that group sex activity. And uh, I think that's what's really interesting. And that's, you know, something that 
we wanted to look at and we wanted to be like, okay, like you, everyone physically is there and, you know, everyone is clear about that. Uh, but all three characters go for it for different reasons and you're still concerned, but that adds in like a different emotional effect. Yeah. And there's consent, um, in other ways as well throughout the film. Um, in two other places, there's moments of consent, um, that is more casual, one's at a party, one's outside of a restaurant. And the film is not about consent. We didn't make a movie about consent, but it's about intimacy. And I think what makes me one of the most excited things about the film for me is that you can have these, it is possible to show these intimate moments and still have consent very clearly defined in it. It doesn't become unsexy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like overtly like, oh, we're going to make consent steamy or yeah. <laughs> it's not like, it's not a PSA for consent, you know, like dare or whatever, like right. that kind of like campaign. It's just like, no, this is the way that things happen. You're like having sex and someone's like not into it. And you're like, oh, what? what's happened like you re you you're there with that person yeah and consent is involved um and it's not revolutionary but it comes a i think because it is so is it because we haven't seen that it's not involved in um cinematic storytelling at least it then mm. is it then does feel revolutionary yeah. or, or or strange or surprising yeah. Um, it's part of the character's vernacular, you know, it's like, Oh, like it's, I like, you don't even think about it because it's just a given it should. And that's how it should be. But unfortunately sex is not treated that way, but yeah, like off of what Chelsea said, it's so exciting and cool that like people are like, you made a really fucking sexy movie and it's consent is like a major part of it. And it doesn't, it doesn't take away from it. It felt like it added to it. To me, like that that scene especially, it really felt more intimate and more connected. It was I, I loved it. Yeah. Oh, Thank you. Yeah, I think that's the best. I think that's the most gratifying part about the movie for me. Like surprisingly, at the end, is like people's feedback of um, in the same sentence talking about like how hot or how like steamy or not even that, but like that it is, it's the moments of intimacy and consent that those two things go together mm -hmm. hand in hand intimacy and consent. the ending. And I can't remember where I read this, but I read somewhere that, that, um, the it's, the, I hate saying vague ending. I, I love an ending like this where it doesn't like tie <laughs> everything up in a bow. Um, yeah. What, what, uh, why, <laughs> what, what was your, your thought behind that? So, <laughs> The original ending, so that was the scene I rewrote like 15 times. Like that was the one scene where I couldn't like grab it. And I would talk to Chelsea about it like, every day and be like, what is it, what is it, what is it? And it wasn't until a couple weeks before shooting where I thought about it and I was like, oh, well, Mia needs to be in her, she needs to return to a, an environment we've seen throughout the movie and see it in a new context, in a new light. And that was her bedroom because like, that's where we saw the majority of her identity in a way, you know, we see her alone, we, uh, lost in thought and lost in fantasy. We see her within um, a very intimate and romantic, uh, fantastical 
uh, moment. And then we see her kind of have this really complex, difficult group sex scenario. And then at the end, she's kind of learning from all of that and has this kind of moment of catharsis. And then it's, uh, so the end was inspired by my favorite painting, uh, Woman in the Sun by Edward Hopper. And what I love about that painting is that it's really uh, interestingly, uh, it's like, uh, it's ambiguous and yet you can have so many stories from it. I don't know if you're familiar with that painting, but what I liked about it is that you just see this woman alone in this apartment and she's looking out a window and you have no idea who she is and where she's coming and where she's going, but you can kind of put your own experience to that. So I wanted it to be at the end, Mia realizes what she's doing is not working for her. She doesn't know what her next step is, but she's going to at least uh, take on the next day. And that's like the bare minimum of what she can do. And that's a really positive step forward is that she is accepting it and she's still here and she's surviving and she's going to move forward. Um, So I think that uh, it's a little open-ended, but I think emotionally it's actually like pretty much wrapped up uh, in that final beat. Uh, I Googled the the painting while you were talking. I love it. (laughs) I love that painting because it's just like this naked woman smoking a cigarette. And I always think when I look at it, I'm like like perfect warm. Yeah. Yeah. I always think that she ran off with a lover and for this lover, either male, female or anything in between just didn't turn out to be the person that they thought that she thought they were going to be. So they ran off and she's alone and she has to like think about what her next move is but she's like taking a moment to look at like the beautiful sunrise and it's like I'm like oh yeah like that to me is what it means to be human and alive and not know what's next and that's what's exciting uh so i have to wrap it up i hate to um oh. what what do we where do we send people to watch the film do they have to wait for it to come to them yeah so uh we are working very hard to take girl talk to the next level and make it into an episodic series. So we are not releasing the film yet because of that. Okay. But, uh, we're at, at sour peach films and we announce all of our, uh, festival, uh, on Instagram. So keep follow us on Instagram and we are still screening into 2019. So you can check us out at, uh, festivals, hopefully near your home city. I love it. I will make sure at um, my website, MikeyPod.com, in the show notes for this episode, I'll put links to Instagram and Twitter and all the different places, your website, so people can track you all down. Um, thanks so much for joining me. I really, really loved the film. And and like I said in the beginning, it was I, I, I'm so welcoming the perspective that has been missing from my life. So that sounded a little over the top. <laughs> Thank you. All right. You take care. Bye. Bye. There's snow on the crocuses, snow. There's snow on the crocuses, crocuses, crocuses. That's how it goes. There's snow on the 
There's snow on the crocuses, snow. There's snow on the crocuses, crocuses, crocuses. That's how it From her EP, Three Songs, that was Katie Mullins with Crocuses, another friend. And she's actually been on the podcast. It was a while ago. Uh, I'll link it at MikeyPod.com along with the other show notes. You know, I've been thinking since I did that intro this morning, I need to be committed. Yes, podcasts will be happening for the next few weeks. The beginnings may be a little bit rough since I'll be not in my studio for a while, but be prepared for them. This week's 
bonus episode is going to be a reading of the zine that I'll be mailing out first thing tomorrow morning at last. If you're a patron of $10 or more, you'll be getting this handmade scene in the mail so uh, i'll read the story on the bonus podcast for next week and um yeah this will it'll be going up the digital version for five dollars and up folks it'll go up on patreon so things are rolling yes i gotta live in the world of yes and this is the world of yes i don't know what that means thanks for listening and i'll see you next week